Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35-bag umbrella and all damn thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, 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 podcast. Who are you? It who we are. Hello, welcome back, people, to another episode of the Disunomics podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week. All that good stuff. If you are seeing all the crazy stuff that's going on in Ukraine, I've literally recorded four episodes, so you're so covered I spoke philosophically should we be interfering in other countries how should we interfere what are sanctions what are different ways of interfering how do people determine to interfere when it's right when it's wrong what happens right now all that good stuff I spoke on Putin like his motivations him moving mad I spoke on what's happening on the ground right now so me and MT Mike Omanihi from Common Sense Network we spoke about everything to do with Ukraine so that's a good episode and of course I spoke about Roman Abramovich a Russian oligarch with ties to Putin who was basically bullying to selling Chelsea so I spoke on his history how he made money his ties to Yeltsin and Putin big powerhouses in Russian politics and why he got pams. So all that good stuff is done for you. Don't forget Patreon, YouTube, Dysonomic, sign that up. Um, five stars on Spotify, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed and following. Tell a friend to tell a friend, all that good stuff. So yeah, so that was the gist on episodes 26, 25, 24, and 23. Now this is episode 237 and I'm joined by two very, very special guests. Um, two people who work in the field of mental health. So it's fantastic, Daryl and Dr. Joanna. So they're gonna be joining us in a second to discuss mental health, especially around young people, um, the differences or similarities between men and women in terms of diagnosis and what we're more likely to exhibit in terms of behavioural issues. And then we spoke about a few buzzwords we hear. Toxic this, gaslighting that, narcissism this, control freak that. We spoke in detail about these terms and this is a very, very interesting part of which I came away learning a lot of good information. So yeah, this week's pod, episode 237. I hope you guys enjoy. In fact, I know you'll enjoy Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Hi, people. Welcome back to another episode of Dysonomics. I believe this is episode 237. I'm joined by someone who's been on my pod a few times and he brought um, a, a friend, a very clever friend, may I heard. So I am joined today by Daryl and Joanna. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? I'm hey. good, bro. 
Okay, I'll start. I'll start with um, Joanna first. So, Joanna, um, what do you do for a living? If you don't mind me asking, I'd give as much or as little information as you feel comfortable with. Sorry, this not the. This is not um, CIA. You could be as loose as possible. All right. Okay. So I'm a recently qualified clinical psychologist. So yeah, I just finished my doctorate in kind of last year, September. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. And yeah, so I've been working since then as a qualified, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> Aren't we meant to call you doctor? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do all of that, but... You know. No, you're insane. If I did a doctor, every flipping... Doctor even, even, even my mum's called me doctor. You think you call me... You think you call me I, no. No, who's that? Doctor Ayo. Do you get it? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you don't call me Sad, you have to call me Dr. Sad. I'm not having it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and, and Daryl. How you doing, Daryl? I'm good, bro. I'm Can good. you tell people um, what you do um, for a living? Um, I'm a CBT therapist, and yeah, I I recently finished my training last year. So, yeah, what does, what does CBT stand for? Oh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So, yeah. So, what what is cognitive behavioral therapy? It just looks at thoughts and behaviors, and essentially how they impact you. Um, so what kind of thoughts and behaviours do you engage in that contribute to the problem you're experiencing and what kind of changes can you make to reduce the negative impact of certain thoughts and behaviours? So I don't know. When people are depressed, typically they isolate themselves. How do you feel after isolating yourselves? You still feel pretty crappy. So we'd look at making a change to that behaviour, for example. Or if it was a thought... They might not do anything because um, they predict that they're going to fail. So we might address that kind of thought too. So yeah, that's that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay, so another question I've got for both of you is that how did you decide to pursue the field you're in currently? So I'll start with Dr. Joanna. I'm calling you doctor for now. Right. I'm making it stick. Like, people right. have to give you your accolades, bro. We do. We really right. do. Yeah. Hey, Daryl, don't be calling Joanna Joanna. Call her doctor, yeah? Or Dr. J. <laughs> I call her doctor all the time. Okay, bro. good, 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 good. All right, I'll accept it. Joanna, please sit What was the question again? I said, what um, What made you... Okay, so obviously, like you said um, last year, you, you thankfully managed to complete your doctorate and become fully qualified. What made you go down this path like? So when did you decide that this is the path for you? Was it at university? If you went to university, that is. Was it at college, sixth form, or from a young age? Or when did you make this? um, How did you know this was the career choice for yourself? Yeah, I think I probably gained an interest in psychology, like when I did my A-levels. So I did an A-level in psychology. At that point, I wasn't completely sure that I wanted to like pursue this kind of long career path towards like being a clinical psychologist, but it was just something I was always interested in. I think the typical like you know being interested in uh, human behaviour, you know why do people do the things they do, and then yeah, went on went on to do a psychology undergraduate degree, and kind of from there was kind of looking at the different fields that you can kind of get into. Um, after qualifying and kind of clinical psychology was kind of where I think my head was kind of focused towards uh, mental health. So I thought, yeah, this was the career path for me. Obviously, it's been a long journey because, um, you know, you do your undergraduate degree and then you've got to do another three-year doctorate, so it's mm. long. But it was, I would say at this point, it was definitely worth it. So, yeah. 
Okay, and Daryl, what about you? I'm sure we've had a discussion on the pod, but for people who forgot or people who just jumped in, um, uh, yeah, give yeah. us a I think it was more, how do I put it? I just wanted to know what makes people tick. So similar, similar to Joanna, I was interested in, to Dr. Joanna, can't forget the honorific. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot forget the honorifics. Um, yeah, I think I was interested in human behavior. Um, why do people do what they do? What makes people tick? Manipulation, all sorts of like different facets of human beings and psychology. So yeah, similar to Joanna, did it at college, did it at uni. Eventually I did some more different types of psychological trainings and that's where i eventually met joanna we were like what three black people (laughs) out of like 50 white people yeah pretty much so yeah as it usually goes and then it's kind of funny she ended up being doing the doctorate and then i ended up going the sort of other way there's only really three positions so counseling psychologist clinical psychologist or cbt therapist so yeah, so I ended up becoming a CBT therapist, really. But um, I wouldn't say I set out to do it. I think it kind of just happened and everything sort of fell into place, if that makes sense. So Yeah, it, yeah. Does, it does make sense. Okay, so um, first, like, I want to get into is, um, obviously, you, you both are working in a field that really addresses um, the mind, the health of the mind and the state of the mind and how we react or preempt certain situations so if i was to ask you a broad question and say the impacts um what's been impacting the mental health of young people or the state of mental health in young people the level of awareness what would you guys say whichever one of you could take this mm. Doc, i'll let you go first huh? okay <laughs> yeah i guess i think it's important to just say that mental health difficulties that are increasing steadily um in young people i think it's like what one in six so in my current role at the moment i am i am working with kind of young people um i think there's such there's such a range of factors that are kind of impacting mental health difficulties in young people i think the current climate that we're in um austerity you know homelessness poverty like thinking about the communities that we kind of we live in and we serve, you know, ultimately the your quality of life is going to have a big impact on your mental health. So I think that's a, that is one factor in itself. Um, I think social media as well is quite, probably quite a key factor as well. If we're thinking about um, the amount of time that young people are spending on social media, like even me, like I'm not like, I'm in my late 20s now and I, I could think about me being a young person and how much, time I spent you know outside or going to see friends and then we think about the young people now they spend so much time on their phones there's that lack of connectiveness with with other people so I think perhaps the loneliness the lack of connection um yeah I can go on and on really Daryl um (laughs) me uh so I guess if we think about the impact to young people um yeah similar to what Joanna said I think maybe what I'd say to build up on it is maybe with I think there's definitely an increased awareness and with increased awareness it's going to be a lot of increased um confirmation by the so people look up loads of disorders mostly because I think they're trying to gain some form of understanding but I think maybe one of the downsides might be that people diagnose themselves with things they don't have um 
but I, I definitely agree. Things are, are definitely getting harder financially. Um, very difficult childhood experiences. Um, yeah, they're just a variety and combination of things that are sort of happening. I mean, in, even in my sort of daily role, some of the words that some of my younger clients are using are words that only people that work in psychology should use, but they are, when I'm assessing them, they're saying it on the phone. So they'll say things like dual diagnosis and I have this comorbidity and you're thinking to yourself, you know, either they're very aware or they've been Googling a lot of things and now they've sort of believed they really, really have this, if that makes sense. And then when you sort of investigate it a bit more, it's not necessarily what they think it is or I don't know. There are just loads of things going on. So, I, yeah, I definitely say there's an increased awareness. Um, but alongside of that increased awareness, things are getting harder. Yeah, finances, um, difficult family situations. Um, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of a lot of things mm. happening. Um, I guess I'd also could I chip in again? Yeah, I guess I just yeah, I just wanted to add as well with um, like like Daryl said, I think with the services for young people like CAMS, so child and adolescent mental health services are really mm. overstretched as well. Um, <laughs> so mm. we think about the NHS. There's lack of funding. Um, there's just so the number of people that need to be seen, there aren't the resources to see them. So we're thinking about young people not having access to any support at all mm. and just imagine that things are just going to worsen. Um, so I think that perhaps may also be playing a role in that things can escalate when they're mm. not screened early. Um, so I think that's also Typical. probably a big one, yeah. Typical wait times? Mm. I mean, a year to two years at, at mm-hmm. some some places. So wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. A year to two years for mm-hmm. what's happened. Be very specific mm-hmm. so I'm aware because my head's scattered. <laughs> what are... Go on. Go on, Doctor. Yeah, so I mean, so it, the, the typical kind of child and adolescent mental health services where most young people would be seen, because there are so many young people needing support and not enough resource to see these people, you have what people wait... Yeah, I think I've worked in some of these services where people are waiting one or two years just to get an assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you mean so people, much? People can have people can have a child mm-hmm. by then. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Child has celebrated uh, their one year birthday. I've done a baby shower, gender reveal, birth, mm-hmm. christening, naming ceremony, a one year birthday before they get seen. That's a massive... and, and let let them know what happens if they're you know that seventeen point five years of age. Boy, I mean that's the tricky age, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, if you're waiting that time and then it lapses and you turn eighteen, then they're like, "Sorry, we can't see you anymore." You know, uh, you, have yeah. to go, yeah. you have to go to the adult service. And then yes. like, basically, I have to join another queue again. Yeah. Basically, yeah. This is so like, that's this, when this, you, this yeah. Me. That's where people try to get whiskey tickets. They're told them that they'll number twenty eight thousand in the queue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. The capacity is eighteen thousand, Pele. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh wow. So that clearly shows us uh, an issue in terms of resources. Guys, we've seen so many people make ridiculous money from crypto. Some of them are friends. They're not bringing me in. I might have a bit about that. But did you know, it's also easy for you to do the same. The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or to invest. You simply just do what he does. 
Kind of like my little brothers. They just copy me. Everything I wear, they copy. All the music I listen to, they copy. Now they're seen as the cool kids. It's a scam. So let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship, has over 17,000 subs and over a million views. Since March 2020, he has told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put 100 bucks into each one, you will now be worth over $66,000. I don't know why James didn't hit me up himself. <laughs> of the 26 coins, his pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 440 times for when he said. 440 times. Bloody hell. That one call alone has retired a couple people, including people in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go on YouTube and verify this yourself. So don't think that this is a big scam. You can go check. Um, so if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then what you need to do is to stop what you're doing and head over instantly to copy my crypto. That's copymycrypto.com floor slash disu. So the fact that you listen to Disunomics, you know what disu. That's D-I-S-U. You'll not only find proof of everything I said, but my listeners get full access for just a dollar. Which is like, what, 75p? If you listen in the UK, easy peasy. You won't find this anywhere else. You'll find this offer anywhere else, but you need to move quick because it's offer ends soon. You can't come and DM me on Instagram or Twitter. Oh my God, this offer's gone. So that's copymycrypto.com forward slash D-I-S-U. So that's copymycrypto.com forward slash D-I-S-U. Don't take this offer lightly. He's a real deal. Go visit the site right now, ASAP. That's your question. Yeah. So how about, I'm not sure if any of you have had any experience working in the private sector, but um, you mentioned that NHS and more mm. public services. Is the private sector for mental mm. health, how does it compare? So let's say, for example, um, person A has suspects that they may have a mental health issue or their family and then they um, investigate via a private health service, let's say Daryl's private healthcare, um, for, and it and it's and it specialises in mental health. Like, what's mm. the wait times like with that, and what's the level of care like? Is it vastly different, or huh? one week? You can get an appointment booked in a week if That's you go private. You'll pay. That's the thing, isn't it? You're yeah. paying money, though. You're paying someone like Joanna, £150 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, Seriously. okay, so... Mm. But then again, the overall majority of people in the country won't be able to have... won't be as privileged to be able to um, access such services. Mm. Yeah. Definitely not. Mm. Exactly. And I think it's the people that actually need it the most that mm -hmm. don't have that access to, the, you know, private... Mm -hmm. private therapy so on yeah. on on sorry sorry to interrupt just on top mm -hmm. of what um joanna is saying is because they're getting paid privately and everything there there's more mm -hmm. time there's more care there's more attention mm -hmm. when you're working in the nhs you've got 101 targets mm -hmm. so there's 101 pressures so the quality is going to be different because your therapist has more time for you and the attention is different I was going to say, um, so effectively, um, yeah. with the NHS compared to private, it's like you're kind of operating on a quantity basis. You're trying to carry as um, make see as many people yeah. as humanly possible, whereas private is a bit more bespoke. So because it's more, more bespoke, you can 
delve maybe a bit deeper, mm. have more um, one-to-one time, be able to analyze, check up, and so. Okay, so mm. yeah, this is making this is this this. It seems like the yeah. the mental healthcare Ooh. service it has very similar parallels to the physical healthcare service in terms of the differences between private and um mm. and state. But yeah, go on. I think Joanna, you're about to say something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was just saying, like you said, in private private kind of health, mental health care, there is that capacity to see somebody again if you have the mm. money to be seen as long as you need. Um, whereas within the NHS, I think Daryl would agree with this, there are those restrictions on the amount of times you can even see one person. So there would be a limit or restriction on the number of sessions you can have with some person, yeah. whether or not that's actually helped, you know. So it's it's very much like a business of like, you know, targets, need to see this many people, need to see this many people for a number of sessions, and then they're kind of out the door. Um, okay, so, okay, so let's get into like what the main basis of of this podcast or my... So, I just have random opinions in life and some of them are extremely well-informed. I like to believe most of them are well-informed. Some of them aren't as well-informed because I don't know everything, unfortunately, um, like like all of us. And one of them is that, so I see like a lot of words that relate to behavioral patterns or maybe sometimes somebody's mental health state. So some of the words I'm looking at is toxic, gaslight and narcissism, control freak. And there's others that will probably pop into my head as we go and do this podcast. And I have the suspicion the suspicion, mm. if I was to bet uh, my last sec- my last dime, I would I would bet that over 70% of the usage of these terms are inaccurate. But for me to be able to say that, I would have to know in detail what these terms mean and how they manifest in everyday life and how they may represent in different genders and different sexual orientations and different ethnicities and different social economic classes. So I thought it would be good to speak to both of you as you are like experts in your field on these terms. So the first I want to start off with is with toxic. So when, so from both of your perspectives, if you were to assess somebody's behavior or character or attitude, whichever the correct terminology is and say, this is this person. This is a toxic person, or this is a toxic relationship, whether it be friendship, uh, a more intimate relationship, or more platonic, or family, or whatever. So, let me start with you, um, Doctor Joe. Like, what is <laughs> your <laughs> what? How 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 would you, what is toxic when it comes to people's behavior or the nature of, of a relationship between two parties or more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, toxic is such a buzzword right now as well. And, you know, everyone's using it, like, for every, in every scenario. Um, I think it's it's quite a broad term. So it's not toxic. Mm-hmm. It's not like a formal psychological term. Of course. Like, you wouldn't use it to diagnose somebody. But I think, essentially, it's it could be just any behaviour that kind of brings upset or negativity or is experienced as challenging or difficult. So that could be any relationship really we're thinking quite broadly but i guess everything's on a continuum isn't it so perhaps if things feel incredibly difficult and negative for the majority of the time if we're thinking of a relationship then yeah perhaps we might describe that as toxic um but i think because it's Mm. so broad it's difficult i think it's so easy to label anybody as toxic because the definition is so broad in itself so i think 
that's where it can there there is a bit of a slippery slope slope there because we can just use that word in any context then what about you daryl um yeah i i agree i i agree with dr joanna <laughs> i think if you're gonna look for me it's not necessarily what someone does it's the the context in which they do it in it, which is when i would say um you know this is toxic like some the the reason they're doing this has to be like very it has to be extreme and it has to be like beyond the necessary mm-hmm. sort of function i i, I guess what I, what i'm saying is like for example you know someone who who just lies all the time to sort of big themselves up, put other people down. Um, They want to cause harm, like they are setting out to hurt people. Then maybe I'd label that as toxic, for example. Like they have no regard for other people. Then I'd say what they're doing is toxic. But there there would be a lot more sort of factors involved. Like, oh dear, that's why we have... um, we have a DSM-5, sorry, that's like a mental health Bible for sort of diagnosis and, you know, calling things people do like psychopathological, for example, which just means they have this problem. Okay, so basically. yeah, I, I, I do understand that. It's, it is a very broad definition. Um, broad. It, the nature of the terminology <laughs> enables it to be used broadly and maybe that's why... Um, we see it so heavily used and then maybe the what's i'm looking for the barometer for you to step into the toxic realm can seem to be so low because it's so broad everybody's barrier for what toxicity is or toxic behavior or toxic situation relationship or person may be completely varies so yeah that's very interesting Mm. Um, i won't judge people as much for throwing out around Mm. Mm, maybe i don't know that's probably a lie (laughs) I, I I think, yeah, I think the reason people use these really, really heavy terms for pretty much anything is probably because they either want to be taken seriously or they want more empathy from people or they really want to vilify someone or they just want to express how much they are affected sometimes. So that there will be multiple components, but I guess it, you have to kind of just take it by a case-by-case basis. And more often than not, you will be able to judge for yourself within reason, if something's like really toxic or was this like a very, very bad set okay, of behaviors, I guess. Is a very interesting word, gaslighting. <laughs> so I, I I actually use this term very often, but in a <laughs> but in a jokey way with um, with my friends. I'm like, oh don't gaslight me and they're like, this you shut up. Or, or, or I use it on my phone all the time. She hates it. I'm just widening her up. So I'll start with you. Um, I'll start with you again, Joanna. Sorry, Dr. Joanna. Um, <laughs> um, what is gaslighting? I guess, you know, gaslighting is a type of, is a type of manipulation, isn't it? Like when someone leads you to question your own reality, uh, that can take so many different forms. I mean, the the word gaslight actually came from a film. I don't know if you've seen it, Gaslight. 
No, never. Uh, so it, a, the, I guess the very brief premise of the film, this man manipulates his wife into thinking that she's losing her sense of reality mm. so that he can get her committed to a mental health institution and take all her, her, her um, inheritance. So that's essentially uh, the premise of the film and where the mm. term gaslight came. And so mm -hmm. since then, we've kind of used it. Of course, mm -hmm. it not, doesn't have to be to that extreme. Um, but I guess it's anything that would lead somebody to question their own reality so whether that's um somebody in a relationship coming forward and saying you know i felt really hurt by what you did and the person you know the other person then says you know you're overreacting what you're talking about kind of denying their their reality or their perspective of that situation essentially yeah so it can it's really broad again it can be a range of different what about you, <laughs> Bro, this is one of those terms that I'm just like, I, just, I don't know really how to like objectively measure it because I guess to, to like when I remember when I did my degree that one of the modules we did, one of the lectures we did was on memory. Right. And there can be a difference between the way two people recall the same event. Mm -hmm. So I'm always mindful of that when people say gaslighting, like me and you can have the same experience, but we both remember different aspects of it. And then, as a result of deduction, we come to different conclusions or different understandings. So I wouldn't say that's gaslighting, but then someone, as a result of that discussion and two people remembering something differently, they might, some one person A might accuse person B of gaslighting them. So I guess, I, I guess you could, I, in my experience, I'd only say someone is gaslighting someone when like it's intentional, it's repeated, it's been happening for X amount of time over a set amount of time and like this person is literally trying to make you deny or doubt your yeah. perception of reality i'm not saying it doesn't happen i'm just saying i'm very hesitant to use those kind of words because i think you have to be like specially like immoral to be doing that kind of stuff but that's not to say it doesn't happen i just think it's rarer than people say it is but I'm 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 happy to debate it to be fair. I'm not here to say I'm hundred percent correct. Yeah, so um it's interesting that do you, okay, so another question to you, Daryl, and you as well, Joanna, is that with these terms, can there be like can they be used in a looser manner? So for example, like if for example, I don't know, like for example, the film you refer to where he's trying to make his wife seem like she's she's like struggling mentally so that she's it's that's obviously a very severe like a heavy case of uh deliberate manipulation mm -hmm. for the detriment of said person yeah but what about if what about cases like, i don't know like um I don't know, let's say i'm having an argument with a partner and then my partner's bringing up valid points of my bad behavior and because i don't want to face it i just bring up stuff that she did wrong that annoyed me and obviously that could be deemed as mm -hmm. gaslighting but that's not as a more deliberate malicious is kind of like a defense am i making sense i'm not sure yeah. if I'm yeah. 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 yeah gone yeah i guess i, I think everything is, an, is on a continuum again so mm -hmm. i think majority of people again this is debatable may have had instances of when they have gaslighted somebody if we're thinking you know we are human beings we're not all perfect mm. there may be instances where we gaslight you know um we do things that we necessarily wouldn't be proud of. Um, so I think, you know, there are instances of 
behaviors where they may be deemed to be gaslighting i guess it's we're thinking about the severity and the the quantity so you know how often is it happening the degree it's happening so if it's continuous with that you know throughout the relationship then again you know we might begin to question that you know this is this is gaslighting and it's on a larger scale mm. um but if it's one of those kind of individual instances where you know i think that scenario you've described is quite probably happens quite a lot um mm-hmm. and perhaps there is might be a tendency again to be like oh this person's a gaslighter they're always gaslighting me you know but there will be instances where that happens. I guess we, we'd argue the degree of whether this person is a gaslighter. I think that, you know, the, diff- the the problem becomes when we start describing somebody as this thing and, you know, it's immovable and that's that's the mm. trick they have. Mm. That becomes quite problematic. Yeah. Like, like even with the example you gave, that, that person, you'd probably say they have some sort of personality disorder, like the guy from the film that you mentioned. Or you could just say he's very Machiavellian. Like if you're manipulating someone to make them crazy so you can take their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's giving um, Tinder Swindler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally that. Yeah, that guy was a Pete Gasler. He's crazy. Um, so another one that I think, and if you guys told me otherwise, I'll be very shocked and I'll have to change my opinion. Um, but I think the term narcissist and narcissism is so overused. Like if you type to how to find, how to spot a narcissist mm-hmm. on YouTube, you'll see a gazillion videos of yeah. this is how you spot a narcissist. Like I'm like, bro, like, I'm sorry. I won't listen to this unless you are trained. Yeah. Unless you went and studied for this. So, uh, Joanna, what is a, what is a narcissist? Yeah, so I guess, you know, narcissism is essentially a kind of grandiose kind of sense of self-importance. So like wanting to be seen as, you know, the most superior or the most successful and feeling that you need this like excessive admiration. Um, And I guess could describe it as quite problematic if it's it can kind of lead into, you know, having a lack of empathy for people, having a lot of arrogance um so kind of like an excessive level of self-esteem and confidence that kind of borders on problematic because i think we all need a certain level of you know self-esteem and confidence to function um Mm -hmm. but then when it begins to exceed that and become unhelpful or at the detriment of other people that we might describe it as kind of narcissism what about you daryl oh yeah yeah i'd agree it's that it's that inflated sense of self and you can't even recognize other people. Everyone's just a tool for you to utilize. Essentially people exist for your pleasure and they're just a means to an end. Essentially. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a narcissist, if, if you're a narcissist, like the proper personality disorder, but I guess everyone has some form of narcissistic mm-hmm. trait because everyone thinks they're important to some degree. Um, so I wouldn't, yeah, I guess if you're calling someone a narcissist, that's very questionable. But if you said people had traits, you'd probably you'd probably be right. But I guess narcissism is like it's like a subcategory in a personality disorder. So mm. I don't know how far you can how mm. confidently people can say they this person is as narcissistic is a narcissist like the personality disorder kind because 
personality disorder is so rare already. And then now to say someone is this subcategory of personality disorder is is it's another step altogether. So mm. but I think only someone like Joanna could um or or a psychiatrist can even diagnose that. More so the psychiatrist, I'd say. But yeah. Yeah, I think it even like narcissistic kind of personality disorder is very hotly contested anyway. So very I think you know what do you mean? What do you um sorry for the listeners, yeah. what do you mean by hotly contested yeah so i think if we're thinking like with what daryl mentioned the dsm so like the criteria for diagnosis i think there's been a lot of debate amongst people that kind of put you know put together these diagnoses about what is narcissism so if people can't even agree themselves i think there was even question about removing it completely. yeah um, like 10 years or 12 years yeah, ago yeah removing it completely from you know the dsm itself so you know, if the clinicians can't even agree themselves about what is narcissism, <laughs> we begin yes. to question how we, whether we can throw that word around, you know, mm-hmm. to describe people. Okay, so um, from what you, from your understanding of of narcissism, mm. what would you say? Um, so, as for for the listeners listening, how can somebody identify that this this person actually might be a narcissist? So. I like to give people education and knowledge and information. So this would be mm-hmm. fantastic. So what are the signs of somebody who may be a narcissist or suffering from this disorder? So I'll start with Daryl. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just read some of the points from the DSM-5. Um, D- the DSM basically is like, it's, 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 it's just your mental health Bible. So Christians have a Bible Muslims have a Quran, therapists have a DSM, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's how important it is, I guess. So the DSM would say they have grandiose sense of self-importance, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, and beauty, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood or associate with special or high-status people or institutions, They require excessive admiration, sense of entitlement. They're interpersonally exploitive. So, as I mentioned earlier, utilising people as a means to an end, regardless of the consequence to that person. Um, Lack of empathy, unwilling to recognise or identify feelings and needs of others. They're envious of other people and believe that other people are envious of them too. And they show arrogant or haughty behaviours or attitudes. So for the DSM, I think you have to have at least five of these mm. for a certain amount of time. There's another bit. Do you remember, Joanna? It's like five traits for X amount of time, and it has to be to a certain degree or something. That sounds right. I can't think of it off, off head, but yeah. that sounds right, yeah. You know what, what you mentioned? Do mm. you think technically, like, babies and toddlers are narcissists? Mm. <laughs> that's a big claim but yeah. to a degree but you couldn't say they're doing it because of sex oh okay no, I'm playing. Playing. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're because... not supposed to be serious oh, okay. oh guys. Okay. come okay. on guys I'm not, I'm not sick um, <laughs> debatably they're just debatable. trying to survive innit <laughs> yeah because they don't give a heck they see us as a piece of head listen are you going to get me my food or, or not, not yeah do you know what I mean facts yeah. um, cool Another another time I wanted to speak on is control figure. Hey, people say this. I'm such a control figure. Oh my god! Mm. Does a, what is a control freak? And does this type of behavior 
actually exist? I'll start with you, Joanna. Yeah, so I guess being a control freak is essentially wanting somebody wanting to have control, you know, to dominate people mm. or situations around them or things. So whether that's within a relationship or at work or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, I mean, I, I would say that it's a thing, you know, I think that's the way people would describe themselves, particularly if they feel like that's very much how they are in across a range of different situations. Mm. Um, perhaps, you know, I think, again, some level of, you know, control is helpful for some people. So I think there's a perhaps a tendency to kind of say, oh, that person is a control freak. And mm. um, a lot of it can come from just being quite anxious, to be honest, you know. Okay if you're quite anxious and fearful then you there's a sense of needing to control you know your environment so that you can monitor you can manage that better um i think you know to a certain degree it can be quite unhealthy for people if you know they feel that they constantly need to be in control of every aspect of their life realistically that's not possible um that it can become you know a deeper issue yeah what about you daryl and also like so Okay, so a lot of these things that I'm gathering a theme is that all all of us people can show bits of this. But mm. interesting question is that how does how do we know the point where it goes from oh this is just a kind of standard trait of a human being to okay mm. this person may be a control freak or this person may be a narcissist or this person might be very very to- like how what's the line of demarcation so like for like the control freak just like give me like a rough example if you can either of you two. Mm, I'd say when the intent is immorality. So, for example, you can be a control freak because you're worried about, I don't know, the end of the financial quarter and the um, the the financial implications for your company. You know, so you can be on everyone's back, finish this report, call these clients, do these reports. Fine, you're a control freak. The person said they're going to do it. You're checking back every half hour. You're a control freak. However, if you're doing it because... I want to make this person suffer at work. That's that's malignant. Like that's mm. maleficent. Like you're just you're a dark person. You're not. You're you're mm. the 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 intent is to hurt you, is to make someone's life hell, to make it hard, to make them sick almost, to see them suffer and derive pleasure from it. Then yeah, I, I'd say that's bad. But like in both situations. Someone can feel pressurized and think that person is a control freak, but the intention behind both actions can be different. Mm. So I'm, I guess I'm always trying to be mindful of, you know, the way I'm treated by someone. I'll have a working theory, but I want to make sure I'm not behaving as if that theory is true until I gather as much information as, as possible, essentially. Mm. I guess I'm thinking, you know, a lot of, the control freak you know the term itself um a lot of these you know the need for control whether that again there's the intent so if it's more immoral um the intent is more more kind of immoral reasons there or the need just to have control of the situation around them i'm, I'm thinking of like obsessive compulsive disorder and how yeah. there are elements there of mm. needing to have some form of control so if we're thinking, I don't know, um, a need for cleanliness, excessive need for cleanliness, you know, mm. you're going to be looking at your environment and making sure everything's clean, needing to clean over and over again, um, having intrusive thoughts about that. Um, you know, I guess I guess I'm thinking a lot of these terms, buzzwords, they can 
they are, they're often can be part of a bigger issue in, in mm. a sense um so while control freak might feel like a, a term that maybe day-to-day use um but on if we're thinking more kind of severity scale that mm. it may be bordering on more like you know obsessive compulsive disorder ocd for example yeah do you, do you want to define that ocd yeah but the difference between ocd and the fact that you're just a neat freak as some people colloquially say i think it's again it's the a lot of it is the the excessiveness of it so i guess we're thinking mm. ocd is um an excessive need for orderly like orderliness or perfectionism mm. and i think it's important the intrusiveness of the thoughts there's often those intrusive thoughts of mm. if i don't clean the whole world's going to end you know like yeah. kind of um assumptions or if i don't clean some we're going to die somebody's going to like my mom. yeah <laughs> um yeah so i think it's again it's the there's there's often two aspects to it isn't it it's the obsessiveness so the thoughts you know the intrusive thoughts and then the compulsive aspects of what do you need to do to kind of relieve the thoughts yeah the stress from the thoughts yeah mm-hmm. okay so we spoke about a lot of terms and how we identified them um how to use them probably more accurately so when it comes to like some of these terminologies some of the issues faced um, behavioral issues and mental health issues faced by us in society today. What are the differences between men and women? Like, is there any um, significant or noticeable differences in maybe one gender or one sex, I say, suffers more from a particular disorder or not, or more severely, or are they, or, or are they, or are the numbers quite similar, or how do we deal with them? Uh, what's the I'm looking for not taboo what are the what's the word I'm looking for like what is like the narrative around uh, issues for men and women like so yeah just give me a spiel on how different or similar we are in terms of the genders dealing with um, mental health and behavioral issues Mm, with dealing with it um, from all, all aspects like in terms of um, suffering like do we suffer at the same rate different rates or does it depend on the particular behavioural behavioural um, issue or mental health issue and mm. how do we deal with it do we deal with it numbers all that type of stuff yeah. I think if we're thinking about personality disorders I think that particularly with like borderline personality disorder there's a very clear um majority of people diagnosed with borderline personality disorder are, are women um i think there's a, perhaps a number of speculation around why that is i think i guess to define it itself is a borderline personality disorder is essentially kind of um difficulties regulating emotion and impulsive behaviors and i think when we think of emotion it's often gendered as female Mm. Um, so there's a tendency for women to be diagnosed with that more so whether that's the case or not um, so there may be men perhaps that also have that but aren't necessarily picked up by people you know doing the assessments and the diagnosis because they're men um, okay so I think there can be those oh that bias yeah yeah um, and then we think of maybe narcissism perhaps you know the need for control and to dominate we kind of associate that more with men, men yeah, um, sure. so i think there can be whether or not there is an actual difference um in the genders in terms of you know 
proportion of who you know who experiences these difficulties um there is a tendency i think a bias from the people that perhaps may be handing out the diagnosis itself just based on how society is you know there are certain characteristics that we attribute to men and women um that can influence you know the level of you know who who we depict as having what condition i think Mm. yeah yeah I, i agree um i'd say in terms of therapists you're typically going to get ladies and in terms of clients you're typically going to get ladies but you're more likely going to get a woman who's anxious and more can i say more likely to get a man who's depressed i guess even though the overarching well okay i guess if i think of me personally and the clients i've seen if i see a guy it's usually because he's depressed more than he's anxious whereas if i see a lady it's most likely they're going to be anxious um and the clinicians aka therapists, CBT therapists, counselling psychologists, clinical psychologists, they're usually going to be ladies that see them. Um, I don't know if we could say they suffer at different rates because that's mm-hmm. like almost impossible to measure. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the thing that sort of springs to mind is when I think of like the, the big five trait personality tests, which is like the most robust personality test you can do. I don't know about all that mbti stuff that people <laughs> i really don't know about that stuff what's, what's a big five personality traits so oh my goodness agreeableness extroversion um neuroticism openness to experience and conscientiousness so typically speaking if you think of the difference between those two i think the biggest differences are going to be with men and women is going to be disagreeableness and agreeableness which is the same trait but men will be lower in agreeableness and women will be higher in it and then when you think of neuroticism which is just sensitivity to negative emotions women will be higher in it and men will be lower in it so that's probably why as you went as um dr joanna mentioned earlier (laughs) men were more likely to be narcissists like i think from what i read a while ago there was a range of like 50 to 75% of people who are diagnosed with MPD globally are men. So that's probably why you're most likely to, to find that. Whereas when you think of other disorders like anxiety and all of those other type of things, sort of anxiety to spe- specific disorders, it's more likely to be women. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you think of People who are who do bad things, who are aggressive, who are in prison, you're more likely to be a guy because your men are more likely to be disagreeable. But those top, I don't know, hundred thousand men, the most disagreeable ones are the ones that end up doing crime, etc., etc., so on and so forth. So, yeah. As, as for the way men and women suffer, I think it's it's it's, it's complex because. Whilst women will more likely to go to a service and therapy and stuff, I guess it's more normalised talking. But then at the same time, I don't think, I'm just talking from personal experience, I don't think men really want to go to therapy. They just want to find the quickest, shortest route to address the problem they have. So I don't think they really want to talk about, I don't think they're interested in talking about the length, breadth and width of something. Um... I guess if you think of like the areas men typically inhabit, it's problem solving. So if a man has a problem, typically speaking, I don't think he wants to talk about it. I think he just wants to know what buttons do I press on the controller so this issue goes away. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, whereas I think 
ladies will be more interested in discussing it and yeah they'll just kind of go from there and i think that probably contributes to diagnosis in itself i think generally across the board Mm. women tend to be more diagnosed with mental health difficulties and i think probably i think we can probably make a slight assumption that a lot of it is like you said daryl men not wanting to come forward like Mm. men not even wanting to present to services and saying look i'm I'm having difficulties with my mood or i'm feeling anxious Mm. that if we're not seeing them then we can't you can't really make those you know uh 100%. exactly yeah. so it may be that perhaps generally that the, we are experiencing the same level of anxiety or depression or whatever it may be but mm. if they're not presenting again it's different strategies like you said for managing mm. mood or anxiety it may be that women find it easier to to talk or discuss or you know work through those things and men may use other strategies i do think that's starting to change now with more of the awareness yeah around mental health and men kind of coming forward and feeling more comfortable to talk about mental health difficulties like in the media for example Mm. we have different like male celebrities coming forward and saying look Mm. i I suffer from anxiety or depression that it might it is slightly it's getting easier for men to to talk about some of these things maybe one other thing i'd probably add on that is if you think of drug usage yeah i remember i looked at alcohol stats um a few years ago and you'll see even if the the rates of alcohol abuse amongst men are a lot higher than ladies so you, mm. you'd kind of think if they're experiencing a bad time maybe drug use might be one outlet mm. not that mm. i guess alcohol is a drug but it's, it's socialized to not be seen as a drug i guess so People, you'd be more likely to see a man use alcohol and actually become dependent on it as opposed to, like, I think the, the study I read, this is a while ago, guys will use it to a higher degree and it will be harder for them to come to not be alcohol dependent. Whereas for ladies, it would be easier, basically. And they'd be less likely. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Well, to round up, two things. One, Daryl, know the big five personalities. Is there like a test you could do online to do, to find out? Yeah, you can do a test. It's free. Oh, you just okay. Okay, yeah. if you send me a link. I'll put that in the description. So okay, cool. Do so. And secondly, so for people who may be feeling that they may be having behavioral issues or maybe mental health issues, or they have friends or family members or loved ones, what are the services that people have access to so i can put in the description so people can go and seek further information or help if that is what is required um i'd say just go to your gp tell them what you're experiencing if you feel like your gp is fobbing you off ask for another gp generally speaking if you feel like you're suicidal for example just google single point of access put in your area um so like for example if you live in newham just google newham single point of access if you live in i don't know halsden halsden single point of access if you live in whatever area you live in if you're feeling suicidal or you feel like life's really got on top of you just put single point of access and google they 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 will see you that day if you tell them what's wrong with you because they're an emergency service for people with mental health issues but obviously if it's after 5 p.m then Mm, I mean, if you go to A&E, you can if you want to, but you can also just put in your local area and click and just put IAPT, Improving Mm -hmm. Access to Psychological Therapies. 
But as as for as for you, Joanna, how how does someone doctor, Joanna? How does how does someone actually even like secondary care has to be a referral or? Yeah, so it's slightly more difficult, tricky when it comes to secondary care because I think with IAPT you can you Just can go to your GP, but you can in. often self refer as well. Mm, it's mm. quite good so that you can kind of completely bypass the GP themselves and do it yourself, which is good mm. for access. Um, I think secondary care is a bit trickier because um, it would usually come through the GP or sometimes people are seen in IAPT, aren't they, as well? And perhaps they may yeah, yeah. it um, further yeah. on. Um, yeah, so that you, that would usually come from the GP. I think you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to self-refer to like a secondary care service, which is essentially um, working with more kind of moderate to severe kind of difficulties. Or just go to your, just Google your area, type in mm-hmm. IACT, Tell them your problem. If you think it's a secondary care issue like psychosis, mm. schizophrenia, personality disorder, do the assessment and just say you want to be referred to the psychological panel in your area. Like every bar has one. It's just that nobody knows yeah. it exists, to be fair. Mm. And then, I mean, they have a duty of care to you. So mm. I act will not take on people who they think are too extreme. So they'd have to refer you to the psychology panel. But you can even bypass that and sort of just go through your single point of access. So, yeah, and I think just to add as well, I think if people find themselves in like significant distress, like suicidal, mm. you can always also present to A and E. Yeah, they will see you and kind of lead you in the right direction. Whether that's um, kind of crisis services within the hospitals, so I, I would often tell people I'm seeing that if things are really, really difficult and you feel like you can't keep yourself safe, then you can also present to A&E and they'll kind of support you from there. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that, to be fair. Yeah, I don't know that. So that's fantastic to know. So, yeah, well, thank you both. You have been fantastic guests. I've personally learned a lot and I'm sure my listeners have. So thank you for giving me your time and to spread your information and knowledge and both of you best of luck going into your careers and just helping keeping people safe and and healthy but yeah so thanks 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 both of you guys thank you thank you sports social podcast network